The way a bicycle stays upright is that it is in a constant state of falling over. Like, that's how you steer a bike. All you are, that's why you have handlebars, because you are constantly falling and you're reacting to the fall to counter it and to go the other way and then back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. The bicycle, what makes it so stable is its instability, right? And so, I mean, there's a philosophy for life right there, right? You know, um, in order, in order to, in order to move forward, you have to be unstable. You can just park the bike, sure, but then nothing happens. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, that's, I mean, that's where that feeling of freedom and flying and all that comes from. Sam William and Andrea Blasky from Naked Bicycles and this is Doug the podcast Welcome to Doug at the Podcast, your daily dose of vitamin D. Doug, vitamin Doug, me, and other people. It's a podcast. If you're tuning in for the first time, my focus is on people who are out there doing it. The motto, think less, experience more. It's kind of what I'm uh, trying to live by. And, uh, and for me, that's kind of where happiness lies, and that's the key to life. So trying to find the secrets of the happiest people in the world and the people that are out there doing something really interesting and uh oh this is a bonus episode well every day is a bonus but uh i'm off um a few years back my dad met sam on quadra island and andrea and they actually mistook mistook him for a a kind of a homeless kiwi guy (laughs) or just not a homeless but a uh just he was woofing and doing different things and he inquired about one of their bikes and they were like, well, you know, it's uh, you'd probably just buy a second-hand bike because they're pretty expensive. And and he's like, no, money's not an issue. I can, you know, I can get one of these bikes. And, and they didn't quite know what to think, but then they found out our dad's background in it. And so he managed to get a touring bike built off Sam, which, um, like, they're in the multiple kind of five, tens of thousands beautiful bikes um and so dad got this bike bike built by sam and 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 sam's got like an 18 month waiting list at the moment i think or a year and a half at least and so dad returned about a year later and picked the bike up and cycled from from up quadra island down to mexico border and i've come back to Canada to do the same so I picked dad's bike up from Laguna Beach uh, boxed it up and landed in Vancouver and then I flew up luckily to see Sam for uh, Sam and Andrew for a day and I 
I just called him up last minute and I was kind of stuck in the city and I thought, you know, it's too good an opportunity to pass up because Sam and Andrew were both the fastest men and women on bikes in the world too at one point. And I think Sam had the record for quite a long time. And uh, I believe then 2008 he did, broke his own world record and did 82.33 miles per hour on the flat and the salt, the kind of those salt flats and... I think Andrea did about 75, and uh, he's also built this Babaganoush fixie for a friend who passed away. It's a beautiful, really cool, interesting bike that kind of he wasn't sure how to be how to be uh, kind of celebrated at these bike shows, and it took out every award. and, and Lance Armstrong bought it, and <laughs> and while. While Lance was kind of working out the paperwork for it, I think uh, Robin Williams came in to buy it and he has a story how he's, Robin Williams comes up to him and wants to buy the bike. He's like, oh, sorry, Robin, you know, Lance just got it. Can I, can I get you another one or I'll build you another one? Um, so it's really cool and, and he's got this passion for set design too. And so he's really, the way him and Andrea approach design and the stories they tell and the, the the relationships with the bikes it's 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 wonderful they even rode some of their bikes to the to one of their shows they're kind of the real deal the they're just into living and um and he picked me up in this this van and, he, and he, they're talking about the 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 lifestyle here and the, the west coast of canada you got to have all oh your yeah, sports gear's got to be worth way more than your car otherwise you're not one of them and um so i kind of got the naked truth from Sam and Andrew, and as I landed in the house after such short-term notice, they said, you know, I called them up and said, can, you know, can I stay tomorrow night and come see you guys? And um, I'm Vince's son, and they, they were just like, yeah, great, no worries. And But you might want to come a bit later because it's singing night. It's we do singing on, I think it was a two, uh, one night anyway. And and so I turned up a little bit later, managed to get the, the plane and the ferry up, and and uh, Sam picks me up and get home, and the, they got... Andrew's band there, these two lovely ladies and another friend, Peter, and the, and Sam was just talking about how he's just stuck into singing, and I was like, that's so great, and how the fear behind it, and how we've known, you know, like, uh, a lot like me, would, I didn't sing at school and I wasn't good in it, so i kind of given up on it, and how like good it is for the soul, and how much of a fear it was for him to do that, and Andrew was talking about what a fear it is for her to like ride these epic mountain bike races and what have, but... Sam was singing so he was on the ukulele uh, the mandolin and they're all playing these wonderful songs in French and English and folk songs and um and just came into this house full of warmth energy love music and a few good craft beers and lentil soup on this on the stove and it was uh it was just a homecoming of homecomings and and managed to get a super quick chat and, and, <laughs> and interesting enough while I was chatting I got my ferry times around the wrong way and nearly missed my uh, flight out but it all worked out. I'm actually now on Salt Spring Island and have landed in another magnificent place with these wonderful artists, so many wonderful creative people around the world. And we've got this beautiful tiny house here. And anyway, it's, um, that's actually just another podcast I've just recorded with uh, a wonderful girl named Rebecca, who's a yogi and has built this amazing tiny house. So I look forward to that one coming up. But for now, here's Sam and Andrea. The Naked Truth, these guys are the real deal, the people behind some of the most beautiful bikes I've ever seen, and uh, just some of the most beautiful people I've met as well, so 
if you're interested in a really custom-made bike and you got a year and a half up your sleeve and a few uh, few thousand dollars, give them a call, go visit them, and uh, but uh, just give them a bit more notice than I did. <laughs> okay, without too much further ado, I always tend to say that. Uh, here are Sam and Andrea. Enjoy. So what's the process if like I went to order a bike, um, I'd come in and see yourself and Sam and then just go through the kind of what you wanted? Yeah, totally. You come visit us or email, phone, and then go through a list of basically what your dream bike would be, yeah. what you've been picturing for, for some people for a really long time. Like, custom build is not something you normally side on a whim. <laughs> it's something you've been considering for a yeah. long time. And I think the idea behind it too is that for us anyway, the bike becomes like, it's like an extension of yourself as a part of your personality. And so for a lot of people, I think it's just, you know, I guess it's another way of um, expressing themselves, I yeah. guess. Yeah. And for a lot of people like this is, this is the big purchase. This is the last bike they'll ever, they think they're ever going to own, although it's usually N plus one for how many bikes you have. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you said last night, the, the, was on the West Coast, if your outdoor activity gear doesn't, it's not worth more than your car, you're not from here. Or <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you got to be ready to. Get your priorities right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to be able to at least go on a hike at a moment's notice. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally it's all about your priorities out here. Do build does does Sam build in like titanium and steel and all just or, or is it mainly just steel or is it all kind of mostly materials? it's um predominantly steel but titanium is starting to yeah. come more to the forefront as well as uh some stainless steel too. Okay. Um each has their own um positive qualities, I mm. guess. Uh steel is really easy to repair so if something you get into an accident or something happens yeah. to your bike somewhere down the line or you even want to change the the style of brakes that you have you, yeah. you want to go from a fully geared to single speed or something like that it's really quite easy to do on a steel bike things are more involved with a titanium bike as far as a welding process and cleaning process and um and titanium is more expensive material. But the bonus about titanium is the ride quality is slightly different. Well, it depends on who you talk to, yeah. I guess. I have um, two steel bikes and one titanium bike. And I think I notice a difference in the titanium yeah. frame. But maybe it has more to do with my wheels. I'm not yeah. totally sure. But uh, you don't need to paint titanium. So that's kind of nice. So with steel, you have to... He did. Oh, okay, to keep it from corroding this, the titanium just... Titanium can just be titanium. Yeah. And more recently, we started to play around with anodizing titanium. There's another company called Firefly. Oh, yeah, I've heard of them, yeah. They make beautiful titanium bicycles, and they anodize their bikes. So we took a look at that, and we're like, oh, man, that is so cool. Yeah. Like, how can we do that? So we've is just been the, experimenting. Is the gold kind of... That's a part of it. You can get a whole range of spectrum of colors. 
But is that the the way it's kind of welded together almost? And so, what's the anodizing part? The anodizing part would be like any kind of uh, added decoration that you wanted to oh, add to, okay. like for decals or for sort of like a paint scheme, yep. but not using paint. Yeah. And it uses a charge instead to change the color at least maybe the property i don't know i yeah. don't know now i'm talking shit so yeah. I, not, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> sounds good i like um oh very cool and uh and so you guys have been doing it as a partnership for a for a while yeah i think since we moved to when we moved to gabriella island so it started i think 1998 in victoria sam started off with a couple frames for friends and for himself, and then it slowly kind of grew over time. And then by the time we moved to Gabriella, which I think was like in 2004 or something like that, then he needed more help. And I was pretty logical next step to help. <laughs> <laughs> Although my training is in biology and environmental technology. I have oh, wow. like no business training whatsoever. Yeah. So this is basically just means that Anybody can <laughs> run a business. <laughs> you just got to be willing to learn yeah. and sort of have determination just to continue through. Because really, I think that's really what it's about. Is you keep at it every day. You just don't give up. <laughs> you got <laughs> the vision, yeah. And because um, yeah, Dad messaged before to say that you you were once the world's fastest woman on a bike and Sam was mm. the fastest man and did you meet speed dating? But how, did, <laughs> how, how did you actually meet? High school. High school. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, high school. So Sam grew up on Quadra, and I grew up in Campbell River, and we both had to go to the same high school. So if you live on Quadra Island, you have to take the ferry across to go to high school. And we just happened to be in the same classes for grade 11, and then we started dating in grade 12. And then basically we've been together ever since then. So we... <laughs> Cute. And did you study? Where did you study then? Where did you study environmental? I studied at the University of Victoria okay. on Vancouver Island, and I then I started at university with biology, and then our son Misha came along, but I continued to yeah. go to school part-time. And then I almost, when I graduated, very, very close to graduating, but not quite graduating, I decided, after like 10 years, <laughs> I decided maybe university wasn't for me, yeah. because uh, I was... The way that I was approaching it anyway was very academically based, and I wanted way more hands-on um, experiences, so I went to college. I went to college after university, but I had I never graduated university. I went to college, and I took environmental technology, which gave me more applied skills, and that I graduated from. Yeah. But then immediately coming out of that, it was very difficult to find work, so I basically had to create work, which meant finding funding mm. and create jobs for myself, which I did for a while. An environmental... And sort of an environmental capacity, but yeah. I ended up being mostly of like a an interpreter, a nature interpreter, like a hiking guide and a okay, nature so, interpreter. Yeah. Yeah. And that lasted for a while. But also I had other jobs too, like basically we had to, you had to be able, especially when we moved to Quadra... And on Gabriel, you had to be able to do pretty much anything yeah. that came your way. And maybe this is the case for you, too. Like, you just had to be really flexible in your approach to what a job meant or how you made money or how you even, like, what about finding out how you're going to get paid to make mm. the money. 
Like for a while there, I was working in Strathcona Park as a hiking guide. Um, but we really needed a brochure made for people to be able to identify the subalpine plants. So I approached uh, a couple of the local banks for funding and, um, and they needed, we needed an, to hire an artist in order to do botanical illustrations for it. Which the artist, they didn't know this, but the artist was actually me. <laughs> so that's why I found funding to pay yeah. me in order to create a brochure. So you're shirt selling them to yeah. <laughs> yeah. yourself. Oh. She's really hot this girl. She's going to be a great <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I you had to get a little creative. I was also like working in woodlots on Quadra Island, yeah. helping with like, we call it tree maintenance, which is woodlot maintenance related things with the trees and I don't know. Whatever you can find. Gardening on the island, like whatever. Yeah. Whatever came up. You just cool. did it. Cool. <laughs> and how long have you been in this house? Oh, 12 years. Okay. I think so, yeah. Oh, that shed must have evolved. That Yeah, because that was Sam's dad's uh, woodworking shop. Oh, was it? Uh -huh. Oh. It was. So he's a cabinet maker and a fine yeah. woodworker. And uh, so when we first went in there, there was like sawdust everywhere. <laughs> it was <laughs> totally a fire hazard for welding. And becoming a, like a metal machine shop. Yeah. So that required a complete overhaul, like to the best of our ability, which yeah. meant a, a shop vac, for the, <laughs> which was yeah. all we had at the time, you know. And that was the way we kind of approached our business, and we still do, which is like bootstrapping. So mm -hmm. at no point have we ever put in, have we sort of overspent ourselves. Yeah, we like, you know, money comes in and comes and goes, and we always owe no matter what. But we've never felt in debt mm. so but that was really important for both of us to never feel like we owed you know like to we're always trying to live by our means including yeah. the business and then when we actually made a little bit of money we put it back into the business you know to slow to slowly grow over time yeah that's why we don't there's nothing fancy here really. that's a good kiwi kind of mentality too it feels that's like the craft of it to it and make what you Mm -hmm. Make what you can out of what you got. Yeah. Um, oh, and how'd you get into? Do we always into biking as well? Uh, I started riding when I after I met Sam. Um, maybe that was one of the reasons why I was interested in him in the first place because he was at the time in Campbell River. Not many people were like racing their bicycles. It was yeah. pretty unheard of. Was he doing mainly road biking racing? Yeah. Yeah. yeah at the time, he was mainly road racing. So I think that was like. Who is this guy? Yeah. Like, what is this thing that he's doing, really? <laughs> We're kind of a hick town in Campbell River. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, you do what? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, and he was totally passionate about it. And yeah. so, you know, I just so I picked it up from him. Totally. That's exactly where that came from. Otherwise, you know, if I never would have met Sam, it's possible I might be into surfing. Like, I don't yeah. know. It could be anything. And sometimes I think about that. Like, if, like, all these different choices that we've made along the way and my life has happened to lead this particular way but if i made some slightly different choices maybe it would have led a completely different path I don't yeah know. oh very good. and how'd you get the so the so sam was doing the land speed records as well mm -hmm. was he and you decided to well get they involved needed in that? they needed a female rider yeah. so he was off trying to set world land speed records they're like you know not many women do this and also you know like Andrea can fit in the bike, basically. <laughs> I'm like, they're like, you want to give it a go? And I'm like, ah, it's okay. Sure, why not? 
And a lot of people had a hard time when they were first like riding in the those speed bikes because they feel really claustrophobic. You yeah. Know? Super. It's it's fits like it's body forming basically. Yeah. Your shoulders are being sort of curved in a little bit in order for the outer shell to fit around you. And anyway, it wasn't for everyone because as soon as they put the lid on and taped you in, it just you stuck. <laughs> Like, and then when you get going, someone has to help you to get going. And in order to find your like, um, your balance, basically you have to give a good push. But a lot of like the starts would be, so you're you're stuck in this recumbent position, trapped in like kind of like a rolling coffin, I guess you could say, depending on your view. <laughs> and someone's trying to get you to help you find where your horizon is, and also to help you figure out where your center of balance is. And then you got to give a big push. You have very limited steering because the fairing comes down so low. So when you're mm. going slow, it's hard to steer. So most yeah. crashes would happen right at the beginning, yeah. just trying to get going. But anyway, I fit the bike because I'm basically the same size as Sam. So it just was kind of worked out yeah. conveniently. So yeah, I ended up doing that for, I think it was eight years that for oh why well, and you go back to the salt flats in america every year or something would you yeah we go yeah. to nevada we raced in a few different places california a few different places in nevada yeah um but mostly it was battle mountain nevada that we kept going back to every year and what were how how fast would you go my fastest speed was over 65 miles an hour yeah which was like a hundred and I think I ended up going 104, 105 kilometers an hour. That was my flat. Yeah. Yeah. And what's, what was Sam's? <laughs> Sam's was over 80 miles an hour, um, over 133 kilometers per hour on the flat. And sometimes it just blows my mind. Cause it will be like, we'll be driving on the highway and uh, we're like, well, let's see what that was like yeah. actually. And go 130 kilometers an hour. Like, holy crap, <laughs> this is so fast because when you're riding it, you don't, you don't notice that speed yeah. um, because you're so out of breath and just yeah. so concentrating on trying to reach your next speed mark yeah. by dirt, by certain landmarks along the way before the 200 meter trap line. Yeah. You don't even really realize how fast you're going until you're trying to stop after the speed traps <laughs> and you got a mile to stop in, which is surprisingly short amount of time. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, uh, but by that point, you're so out of breath, and your body your body is sort of shaking. Yeah. From uh, pure effort, that it's actually kind of it's probably the most dangerous part of the ride is when you're trying to break and stop because your whole body is shaking. The bike is shaking yeah. back and forth as you're trying to control it. And anyway, yeah. Because it can be dangerous if you fall. It... Well, that was something we didn't know. Yeah. Um, the shell of the bike is made out of carbon fiber. Um, Kevlar and epoxy. And Kevlar is what they make bulletproof vests out of. And the reason for the Kevlar, um, one of the reasons anyway, was in case of a crash, to so that the bike wouldn't just break apart yeah. like it would if it was simply just carbon fiber, because carbon fiber can be quite brittle. Mm. Um, so nobody really knew what would be a situation if somebody was crashing at speed until. <laughs> Uh, so Sam was doing, um, I guess, his last run, nearer to his last run, and I'm behind in a chase vehicle, and you have to be at, at least, I think it was 200 feet behind or more, so that the 
vehicle behind wasn't helping to yeah, right. push the yeah. vehicle forward. Um, so we're watching him and he was having a, like an ultimate run. We're like, oh crap, holy shit. He's like, he's going like 75 miles an hour, 76 miles an hour. We're like, oh my God, this is amazing. And he was about 500 meters before the 200 meter trap line where yeah. they time it. And we could see he was up to 80 miles an hour. And we're like, we were like cheering in the truck. And next thing we know, we could see Sam's vehicle just start to swerve a little bit side to side. Yeah. And we're like, oh. and, then, and then he falls on his side like this. And the shape of the vehicle is such that when it's on its side, it's basically the similar to the shape of an airfoil. So he landed on his side. We could see him sliding along the road. Then all of a sudden he got air. He was at least three feet off the road where he was flying. And we're like, oh, oh, oh my God. So he's flying. And the next thing we know, he like hits smack down on the pavement again. And then basically pinwheels yeah. off into the sagebrush. And no one had crashed going that fast before. We had no idea what, like, we were totally worried for him at that point, right? And then, so we pull over to the side of the road. Sam, oh my God, Sam, are you okay? And we, like, untape him and pull off the shell. And he's like, oh. he was totally fine. He was totally fine. He felt like he had, like, a sunburn. You could see on the outside of the fairing of the vehicle the outline of his body yeah. of where it was like, you know, from friction from the road scraping along the side of the road. But basically it, it was like he had a little bit of a, a burn. That was it. Like that was it. He crashed going 80 miles an hour and flew mm. even, but like that was pretty phenomenal. So clearly Kevlar is the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> you get your custom button out of that. Yeah. But if he would have crashed into something like a barrier yeah. or a tree or whatever, that might have been a different story, but luckily it was very, very open in the desert, so mm. not much to crash into. Yeah. Oh, cool. And what about the, because the, it came in last night to the music. Yeah. It was beautiful. How long have you been playing? Play time. <laughs> Just hearing about your crash. Oh, yeah. <laughs> World's fastest crash. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, is it cool to have a chat down there? Sure. A cup of tea or something. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Get the music. Yeah, now's probably a good time. Now? Or yeah, or cool. Are you guys doing something? Yeah, we're recording now. We could jump in and oh, sure. do a make it a three. Yeah, come a, on a, here. A communion. <laughs> do another chair. Um. <laughs> I can. Uh, actually, I'm pretty happy on the floor. It's good. Because uh, your audio your audio will be better if uh, if you're there and I can go down on the on the yogi. Yogi position. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is why I do all those hours stretching. <laughs> um, yeah, what about the music then? The... Yeah, music. So I've been playing music since I was, I'm not even sure. I started playing piano when I was four, like taking lessons, piano lessons when I was four. But my family always sang together, like my extended family as well, too. My dad's family is very musical and and some of my mom's family is also very musical too, so I've just always been surrounded by it. And when I was four, I demanded piano lessons. Oh, and the teacher cool. didn't want to take me because she thought I was too young. I couldn't read yet. Yeah. And she was like, no, you can't. I can't teach a kid who can't read how she's supposed to read music. But yeah. I was just like, <laughs> I was so determined. I used to copy my mom and whatever piano music she was playing, I would 
try and figure it out by ear, which I think irritated her. To me. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of those irritating kids. <laughs> oh, I know the music last night was so beautiful because you got a band. Um, you got a band here. Mm-hmm. And quad now too, and I've been training Sam up, and we're talking in the car on the way up. How like, if you're not into music at a school level, or you just think it's not for you, and then, but how like I've gone to Kiritan recently, and how yeah. good it is for the soul, and I'm like, this is a whole other world I haven't even tapped into. Of oh yeah, energy and community, and and it makes you so happy. Oh, uh, I think for me, music is like it's in a form of a form of emotional release. And expression. Um, I know that when I was a kid anyway, with the piano, um, if ever I felt happy or sad or mad, I took it all out on the piano. And <laughs> I still do that, actually. <laughs> so, and I think, it, yeah, I think it's just, I think everybody should sing, regardless of whatever you think your ability is, and regardless of whatever anyone has ever told you your ability is because and unfortunately we carry a lot of that with us um but if you can get beyond that and realize that the percentage of the world that is actually tone deaf is so small and once you realize that if you learned how to speak a language you, then you learn how to then you've learned how to hear so you just have to train your mind and your ear and just some sort of body positioning, um, the way you hold your mouth, say, for example, or the way you stand or the where you're breathing from in order to project more air. Mm. So it's basically just about learning. It's kind of like learning, I don't know, like learning anything, actually. you got to start from the beginning, and then you mm. just work your way up again. But I think, I don't, for Sam anyway, he didn't sing forever. I remember when I first met him, he would not sing in front of me, not, not even a little bit. And it wasn't until our kids got a bit older and started playing music with them all of the time. And basically, my idea of playing music with the kids was we just sit around, give them an instrument of whatever they wanted, just give them a whole array of instruments, yeah. and just start playing. And I'm like, okay, you guys just add in your part, and then everybody would get a solo or whatever. It didn't matter. It didn't even matter what it sounded like. Because everybody was like adding to the experience of it all. And that's totally what I still think now. Unless they want to get specific about it and they want to improve their tonal quality or, or whatever it is, mm-hmm. their ability to hear. Or their, uh, for these guys, that their ability to harmonize or to be able to pick out a harmony. Mm-hmm. Um, which just requires work, basically, and practice and time. Yeah. So eventually Sam started to sing. And we actually ended up getting, uh, you know, that uh, computer or game called Rock Band. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, Rock Band made huge steps towards <laughs> our, our our sort of musical progress as a as a family unit. Like, as a actually, we formed a band. Our family had we had our own little band. We we fought a lot in our band. <laughs> we were just, fought a lot over who was leading the band. <laughs> that was between me and our son Misha and our daughter Sophie. Sam never ever tried to lead the band. <laughs> we fought over what songs we were gonna play. We fought over who was singing what harmonies. We, we um, but we wrote a couple songs, goofy songs together, and then performed for family and friends. And then we split up. 
Ben's split. <laughs> but then we had a reunion for. <laughs> but it was a bit of a struggle. And also when my uh, when the kids were like, uh, Misha must have been about fifteen or sixteen, and Sophie would have been twelve. And the local community theater they put on um, a local production or, or a version of Mamma Mia, basically. And so, uh, our me and my kids, I'm like, well, they asked me if I would play the music for the production of it, and I'm like, okay, you got, I have to form a band for this because basically we have to be ABBA or some some kind of version of that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, who are the other musicians that I want to play with? And I'm like. I know. I'm going to get my kids to be the band. I mean, we're good at rock band. How hard could this be? <laughs> and then we got Misha's friend Nick, who was 16 at the time, to be the drummer. So we had me on the keyboards. Sophie, who was 12, on electric guitar. Misha, our son, who was 15 or 16, on bass. And Nick, 16, on the drums. And <laughs> trying to get them to learn ABBA songs. Well, first of all, Misha was like into heavy metal. And... <laughs> Nick was into heavy metals or punk rock, and Sophie was into like Simon and Garfunkel. No, Beatles. The Beatles. Beatles yeah. So they were like, I hate ABBA. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like herding cats with yeah. those kids. But by, but by the end, we learned like all of these ABBA songs, which we had to transpose. I had to figure out like, it was crazy actually when I think about it. I had three months to figure out. I give, was given the piano music, which then I had to transpose to whatever the singer needed. And then on top of that, I had to help the kids figure out what their parts would be. Cause none of that was written in anything that I had. So we had to create Sophie's guitar solo lines and Misha's bass lines and Nick's drum, <laughs> which was fine for the guitar. And it was fine for bass guitar for the most part, but drums, I knew nothing about drums. I'd be like, okay, Nick, can you just go? And then nothing, no, no, nothing here. And then and they give us a little. <laughs> anyway, in the end, it was pretty funny because the band walks out at the beginning, and Misha, or Misha, Nick, and I, we walk in under like our band attire, which was just white tops and black slacks or something like that. And Sophie, who's twelve, comes out like a rock star. She's <laughs> she's also in. A, a white top and black pants, but somebody gave her some stiletto boots. I'm like, what? <laughs> and she's like, she stole the show. I swear to God, like during the performances, because like she had all of the guitar solos. So, and she just wailed on the guitar. <laughs> She'd stand up during the guitar solo. She'd be like, <laughs> anyway, that was the beginning of the end of the family band, but... <laughs> oh, beautiful. But they both continued with music after that, actually. Misha ended up forming a band and has a band now. And Sophie sort of had a solo career on Quadra and Campbell River. But wrote their own, they write their own songs and everything. It's really quite cool. Oh, that's such a good talent or skill for kids to have. Yeah, or anyone just, to have. Yeah, just have the confidence to know that they, you know, to feel confident in their ability mm. of the fact that, yeah, sure, you can just, just play along. No one's, well, I'm not judging you. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. And what's, um, like living out in Quadra, what's the, what's, besides, I guess there's good biking out here, but mm -hmm. what's the beauty of living out here? Like, say, just go, mm -hmm. do you guys love to go hiking, cycling, 
Well, yeah. there's good kayaking out here and mm -hmm. just everything. Yeah, you can't. You have access to pretty much every outdoor sport here. The island um, has a really impressive mountain bike trail network, which is also a hiking network now, as well as there's rock climbing here that I know a whole bunch of routes were just put up, like tons of routes put up by Philip Stone and others. And that was just opened up in the last like two years. So yeah. rock climbing is becoming a much bigger thing here too. And kayaking has always been huge mm -hmm. here. Um, there's many different kayaking companies. You can do day trips or you can do mm -hmm. overnighter kind of scenarios. And then for skiing, we do have to head to Vancouver Island yeah. for skiing, but it's not that far. And what's, so, so in winter, do you knuckle down more with work or do you go skiing more or do Because obviously the winters yeah. are pretty long and yeah. cold. The winters are... The winters are hard, yeah. um, mostly just because it's cloudy a lot of the time, and I think that we just need more vitamin D. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just need sun. <laughs> it's pretty wet. Um, so the winters can seem kind of like they drag out for a long time, but we do work a lot. And then things like night riding, well, I was trying to have fun, basically. It's a lot of community stuff yeah. in the wintertime. That's when all the potlucks happen. Yeah. Game night happens. I don't whatever we can come oh, up yeah, with. Oh yeah, you can just and like get anybody that can come up with anything. Like oh, we're doing an Oktoberfest, I guess, on Friday. This is when the parties start happening, basically. <laughs> Everyone wants to get drunk. To people's to keep people's spirits up because otherwise yeah, our winter just is so grey that it just feels like it drags on forever. Did you say so? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you want me in on this conversation yet, or that's just weird. Who's that guy suddenly talking? Oh, no, it's cool. <laughs> oh, we can do it. With, yeah, and keep going here. We'll grab a couple of tea downstairs or whatever's, whatever's easy. Doesn't matter. Cool. Whatever you want to do it. Um, and, oh, yeah, we kind of cover some of the bike building stuff, but um, i trying to think. How would you describe, if you describe what you do now? Or if someone hadn't met you before, what would you what would you call yourself? If what would I call myself? Well, <laughs> it's funny. I have this conversation with people, and it's like I actually don't like the the sort of the labels of being a something. Um, it's it's a little twist, but I often have this conversation with people, and it's like people who say, um, "What would be an example?" Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a carpenter. I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. So what do you do? <laughs> and if they also say I'm a carpenter, I'm like, hmm. So being a carpenter is more important to you than actually working with wood. Mm. If they say, what do you do? And they say, oh, I work with wood or I, I build houses. They're not saying they're a house builder. They're saying they build houses. It's like this little tiny difference, right? And most people you don't even think about it. But, you know, probably now that I've said it, you'll notice this when you, when you talk to people about, say, oh, what do you do, right? And you have to phrase it that way. You say, what do you do? Mm. You know, what, how do you spend your time? What do you, what's, your, what's your thing, right? Yeah. And if they say, I'm a bike builder, I'm like, okay. So being a bike builder is what's important to you, not working with bicycles. Mm. And I think it's a subtle, it's a subtle thing. So... That makes sense. Yeah, and, so, I, and I was thinking that it can be really, it could potentially be really limiting if you 
labeled yourself that way. Yeah. For example, saying that you're an artist. Yeah, artist. Okay, that's a classic one. Like people who's, <laughs> I mean, for anyone to call themselves an artist, oh. <laughs> well, no, I think Are you it's, kidding me? I, I think for that person, it becomes maybe kind of limiting because they have whatever their view of what an art, what it means to be an artist yeah. might be this potentially huge, overwhelming thing. Yeah. Whereas instead, if you say, I make art. Well, even that's like. Or I, I, paint, I paint. Or I sculpt. I, or or I, yeah, right. I draw. Or I make shit out of lumps of other shit. Yeah. See, that's way more cool to me than... Yeah. And also, I think it's maybe less stress on the person because it doesn't come with this title and perhaps yeah. all these expectations that that's... they might be placing it on themselves. So it's interesting you start, like, your first question is, what do you call yourself? And I'm like, dude. Well, that, that's, that, but that's, <laughs> well, like that's the response. Right, right, yeah, right, it's right, like right. you bring... It's like, um, I don't know. I'm a... Cause, well, I'm a feel, creature on the earth that makes bicycles. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> that's the that's kind of the perfect answer. Because I remember yeah. even Eckhart Tolle's book, he said the people who have actually they're the most lost, they're the closest to finding themselves because they're not they're not a lawyer or they're, they're not trying to live up to this yeah. person they've been told they have to be their yeah. whole life and and study. Yeah. I want the lawyer who when you when you meet them they say I practice law. They don't say, I'm a lawyer. <laughs> I'm a lawyer, man. They say, I, I practice law. I'm interested. Because that means they're... I'm interested in that law. That means they're actually interested in it, <laughs> right? They're, they experiment with it. They, they, they think about it. They think about it in a big picture rather than just... Yeah, they're still inquisitive about it, right? Yeah. Still want to learn. I don't know. I, I've even tried to figure that out for myself. I'm like, I love meeting people like the the whole interaction of it and the and then what that comes out or like trying to define what you actually really love to do or what you enjoy yeah and what that essence of that is and it's like meeting people and then sharing the stories and then learning what getting a glimpse of what they do and just the whole process is yeah it's yeah it's beautiful but what's uh the best so if you're building bikes, you've been doing it for, and you had a background in engineering and, and then set the, design. Mostly theater design, yeah. So And then what point were you like, uh, you obviously got conned into making a few, or wanted to make a few for yourself? or Yeah, that was pretty, so basically I was working uh, like design, like Designing sets and lights and costumes, theater stuff, anyway, in general. Um, went to school for that and then ended up working in quite a few different places. But that kind of work is, you know, three months here, three months there, three months there, and then maybe nothing for a while. So used to fill in the, the gaps by working in bike shops, um, just wrenching pretty much. And this one cool bike shop I lived, uh, when we were in Victoria, um, they had a frame fixture, which is the thing that holds... Uh, you know, if you're making a bicycle that, that holds all the tubes together while you weld it. Um, and we sort of, a bunch of us in the shop had stared at this thing like like it was some sort of alien creature in the corner. <laughs> and we're like, I wonder if we could build a bike. You know, like, is that something you can do? And this is sort of before internet. You couldn't, like, Google it and go, how do you build a bicycle? Instructables, you know? <laughs> it was... Um, and so we sort of phoned around. We found some crazy old books from the 60s and 70s on, like, how to weld some 
and uh, a couple of us made a couple bikes, and it took like a year to make one bike. And it was mostly just to like, could we do this, you know? Mm-hmm. And right from that first one, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, this is like, this takes the creative stuff I like to do. It's the bike stuff that I've been passionate about forever. Um, the whole Lego thing comes back to me. Like, <laughs> it's like, and then you can paint it too, right? So it's like it had everything sort of in one object, right? Um, and, and yeah, in the first days, it was just like for ourselves and for friends and basically, but was still doing lots of theater work. Um, that was, that was my main, our main income, such that it was, still wasn't very much. Which wasn't that in student loans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so we sort of struggled and got by and started making frames here and there. And it, I don't know, we probably only made 10 in the first couple of years, something like that. Um, and just with like hand tools and a hacksaw and a vice and, and then it just started gaining momentum. Um, and I would say for the first five or six years, it was still half and half theater work, half, half building bikes. The kids were really little still. Andrea was going to school. So it was like, just this like, <laughs> ah, mishmash of stuff. Right. Um, you know, that sort of late twenties, you know, trying to grab onto something. <laughs> Doing it all. Doing it all. Yeah. yeah, we can do that. We can do that. You yeah. still got energy. Yeah. Um, Nobody's told you you can't do it yet. <laughs> and then uh, and it just it's just slowly morphed from one to the other. Um, I mean, I haven't done any theater work in probably, I don't know, five years, six years at least. At least? Might even be a year. I don't even know. I don't even think about it anymore. Mm-hmm. And the, the bike business is definitely, I mean, we've been doing that full time for the last 10 or 12 years. Hey? Yeah. Pretty much since we moved back here. It's cool. And what, how much of it's the, because you started a lot, um, Andrew was saying you were kind of one of the only competitive road cyclists from here, or yeah. were you what, the very, how'd you get into it? How'd you kind of get passionate about cycling to start with? Well, I always loved bikes in general. I mean, there's a couple of, you know, when I think back, it's like, of course, your memory plays tricks on you, and who knows why I really got into bikes, but. I'll give you a story. (laughs) Um, I mean, one of them, uh, just as far as bikes go in general, I mean, there's something, I mean, living on an island like this too, where you really do have, I mean, we live in the middle of nowhere as far as, and you know, where's the property line? I don't know. You just go that way or you go that way or you go that way. That's the water. But, you know, you can kind of just disappear into the woods and play and explore. And of course, as a kid, as soon as you figure out how to ride a bike, well, man, that now you're the distance you can go is doubled or tripled or quadrupled, right? Just like, whoa, I can go check that out now. Um, and I mean, I think that's one of the beautiful things about um, bicycles, uh, especially for kids in general, is that that's their first sense of freedom, you know, not the damn car, you know, whatever. The bicycle, you know, when you're four, five, six, whatever, that allows you to go like so much further than you could the day before when you didn't know how to ride a bike. Um, and 
And I think you can still see it in like our clients and our customers. Um, you can still see that spark in them that that's still what they're trying to relive. I mean, they may be 60, 70 years old getting a, a new bike for the first time, but they're still like, they're after that, that just like that, that nostalgia for this freedom they felt when they were five or six, you know, like they're still after that and all the rest of it, bike racing, mountain biking, touring, whatever. I mean, these are all things, but I think all of them are just, each individual's way of capturing that moment when they were a kid. And for me, cause I've loved making things and building things, the, the, the building of a bicycle is still goes back to the, my old Lego days and riding bike and putting it all together and sort of the idea of making something and then using that thing to go to like that. It will now transport you to another universe is like yeah so awesome uh, and i still get excited by that obviously you can tell right <laughs> and how efficient the bicycle is yeah right um and you know what do they, what do they say that the bicycle is the the last piece of technology one human being can fully understand i mean you can most people of reasonable intelligence can look at a, a bicycle and they can go oh that is for steering and that turns around and it makes the you know like you can look at it you can look at it and understand it. You can understand the mechanics. So it's a very honest, open piece of technology, and that I love too. Um, anyway, that's not answering how I got into it in the first place, no, except that's... that you know I'm still looking for all that. Yeah. But um, as far as specifics, like bike racing, that happened because um, I didn't even know anything. I'd sort of heard of the Tour de France. That was about as much as my bike racing experience was growing up around here because you just don't see it. But uh, a friend of mine uh, wasn't doing very well in school and he had to go to summer school, which is in Campbell River. So you had to, he had to ride across the island, take the ferry and ride through Campbell River to go to the summer school program. And his parents were so upset with him that he had to do this. And they're like, there's no bloody way we are like driving you or taking you. You're going to find your own way. And he's like, but I don't have a bike or anything. Well, you find yourself a bike. And so he hooked up with the local bike shop and they had some parts for him and they sort of helped him put this bike together. And I'm sort of watching him do all this, right? And I'm going, well, I need a new bike. And the bike he happened to put together happened to be a racing bike. And the bike shop that was helping him told him about this local bike race called the Comox Cup, which is still happening to this day. You know, what, 30 years uh, 30 years later um, and, I, and he started telling me about and he went and did one of these races because he put this bike together and he was using it to go to summer school and then he went and did one of these races and I'm just watching all of this and I'm going this is fascinating like what is this stuff and so he did the first one he said Sam 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 you got to do this this is awesome I'm like okay so went and uh, um, I don't I, we can move if you want. We'll have a break if you. Um, I think that's just Dave, isn't it? Yeah, that's Dave. Um, I saying. Oh yeah, and and so basically went and did this first race, and it was just so much fun. Just continued from there, and I mean that was it. Uh, from there, lots of road racing, and initially, um, and that just led to everything else. 
Did you try and get to a certain? Did he have aspirations of trying to be like a pro or a? Oh, probably yeah. in my brain, you know, <laughs> like who knows? I was fifteen, right? So, I think initially you don't have those kind of thoughts. You're just like you just want to go to the next race, yeah. and Do that again, get your next fix, right? Um, and then of course, yeah, as you start to get better and you start to go, oh, and you start to see pros or go to bigger races. You start to see where you stack up against them. You go, oh yeah, maybe I could, maybe I could do something like that. Um, but you know, sport, sports a pretty brutal truth teller often. And I think right from the beginning, I knew that there was certain parts of the sport I was really good at, and there was other parts that I was just not good at. And as far as I knew, I think I. I remember, I think I knew in the first year or two that um, there's no way I was going to Tour de France. Say. Mm. It's just not my style. I couldn't do it. So was it Shane coming before? Yeah. Just that, that must, and you, you <laughs> and well, and David. Shane, and Shane just paid me in pot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, dude, like I, I don't even really Wait. smoke pot. <laughs> And he always brings me weed and no cash. Last time Shane paid oh, yeah. us in this. Oh, this is okay. So this is what? sagebrush hey. from Oregon, <laughs> and this is juniper. Yeah, he brought awesome. But he brought me a bag of weed <laughs> and, and a chunk of obsidian. Hey, you got some obsidian? Cool. What's obsidian? It's, it's a rock. Uh, rock. Oh, it's volcanic rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's a I didn't try that at my local bike yeah. shop. <laughs> there you go. I'm like, thanks, Shane. Um, I can really use the cash. Here's, here's some sand. Especially I, you know, here's a few shells. If I smoked a lot of weed, that might be different, but I don't. No, but your dad does, so that would be very handy. Yeah. He was and asking. Dave does. Yeah, Dave's already like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which one's this? <laughs> You did some colorful paint job yeah, on that. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you love what you're doing, then you love, yeah, you got all the community and friends, and then everyone's biking too, then. Yeah. And then you're the go to guy to fix the bike. Yeah. It's like, it must. And, and then you have people like me drop in and like <laughs> ruin your daily routine. No, no. Because what, what is your normal daily routine? Uh, oh, we're doing what, it pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. I mean, yeah, it's we make tea. Yeah, you know, some some days some days it's like it's amazing and it's quiet and the phone doesn't ring and there's nobody here and we just go 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 and twelve hours go by and you're like, Wow, look at that. Whew. But that's not normal routine. Mm. Normal routine is putting out fires. <laughs> it's like Oh, who's that on the phone? Oh, okay, you're gonna do that. Oh, oh, shoot, that's right. We gotta order that. So now I'm on the computer for half an hour. Oh, somebody just showed up and they need to trade two chickens for a tire. Okay, <laughs> go do that. <laughs> you know? It's so, easy to get lost on tangents, yeah. basically, yeah. and forget what it yeah. was you were working on to start off with. It's amazing when you're when you're when you're doing this kind of business. Um, there's there's the uh, the theoretical way that the business is going to run that they they probably teach in business school although I've never been <laughs> and then there's the way it actually happens which is basically just panicking putting out fires you know tiny emergencies all day long 
<laughs> or at least that's how we end up doing it. Maybe we're doing it wrong. Maybe right? we are. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. It's the, um, you get out, you produce about 100 bikes a year. No, did you say 50 bikes 50, a year? About 50, 50 bikes 50, a year. About yeah. one, well, a week. one a week is what we budget for. Yep. Um, and then sometimes, uh, some bikes are simpler and we, you know, everything's ticking along and we will get out more. Um, and then some bikes are more complicated. So, but on average, we, we shoot for one a week anyway. Yeah. Cool. And the, cause I saw one of the ones you had in your show and one you had hung up, which had like a wooden veneer kind of wheel. Yeah. And details and like there's some beautiful frames that are all hands. What do you call bent? Is it or, like all the tubes are curved. Yeah, yeah, like, like, yeah. Sha- like so, hand shaped and hand welded, and well, that comes back to. I mean, I was like, I mean, part of the creative process, um, you know, building bikes or making any object, um, and I certainly learned this in you know my years doing design and stuff too. Is that it's just you got to stand back and look at what you're doing every once in a while, and just because something's you know, has a tradition or has been made a certain way for so long doesn't mean that I don't want to say right, because it's obviously, you know, most, most objects, certainly it's something like the bicycle has evolved into a a pretty well, you know, worn path of what, what is the correct way to do it. Um, but it doesn't mean, but you feel like a lot of those people that are making those bikes have maybe lost sight of the forest for the trees sometimes. And it's good to sometimes stand back and go, okay, well, what's, what's missing about this? Or if, if I don't, if I don't look at it just as a bicycle anymore, I look at it as a, as a, um, an object to be enjoyed, um, in general. And, and one of the things that's often missing is a bicycle is very linear. It has a lot of straight lines. Um, it's very cold. It's made out of metal. Um, and so, especially during that phase when I was doing a lot of the bikes that had a lot of curves and a lot of wood and stuff like that, that was trying to bring balance back into the object, not as a bicycle, but as an object. So it's like, um, okay, well if it's all made out of straight lines, but that feels in, in a, in a world that is not made of straight lines, like nothing in nature is straight, you know, even the horizon is curved. Mm. It's like, how is, uh, is how can we make things flow from you know, the transitions, right? And flow from one to the other. And then also bringing the wood in really brings in a, a warmth, right? Um, so that's why there, uh, during that period, I was doing a lot of bikes that were uh, uh, a lot of wood details and leather, because leather has a warmth to it as well. And then the curves bring a softness to it. Um, I mean, in a in a way I used to say it was like basically taking a very masculine object and bringing some femininity into it. Um, and just making it, it, they became more approachable in a way. And that was kind of the fun part was, uh, we'd take these bikes to the show and we'd have to clean them constantly because people were just touching them. I mean, it became like, people had their mitts all over the bikes. And, and you know, at first you're like, what are you doing? But they couldn't help themselves, so it was kind of, that was really fun, and I enjoyed that because, let's face it, a bicycle is meant to be like ridden and enjoyed, and 
you know, handled. <laughs> yeah, I love that story of you guys riding the the comp bikes to the show. Yeah, for that's oh, that's, that's exactly it. Is is bringing bringing the bike down to the to uh, the human level and an extension of you, not just a separate object from you. And I mean, especially that's you know building 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 an object for somebody. I mean, they call it the maker culture now and all mm. stuff, which is becoming kind of a dirty word. But um, it's, but what is so great about that is I think, and it's certainly what we've modeled our, our um, philosophy for our business on is that, you know, people ask you, how do you, how do you compete with the big companies like Trek and Specialized and all these, you know, huge companies that, obviously have teams of engineers and can build way more bikes and, and arguably, uh, you know, the way they build is, is possibly better too. I mean, that's, that's an argument for a different time, but you know, there, there's nothing, there's certainly the quality is, can't argue the quality of a, a well-made factory built bicycle. And people would say, well, how do you compete with that? And it used to be, that used to be a really like contentious question because you know, that would bring up all my insecurities and I'd be like, Oh, well, you're right. How do I compete with, I, I guess I can't, you know, what am I even doing? Why am I building bikes? I can't compete with that. Right. And then one day it sort of clicked and I was like, well, this is stupid. You don't, you don't compete with that. Like we, you do what we can do really well, which is when somebody comes to have their bike built, it's a one-on-one. -on -one. You're looking them in the eyes, and it's like you meet you meet your maker. You know, <laughs> yeah, literally, <laughs> literally. And so that is something. No large company in the world, you know, like specialized or you know Apple. I mean, they're after these are these are big companies that are after your brand loyalty and your like. Um, they're trying to get an emotion out of you, and they can get so far. But they are never going to be your friend. Not really. They'll sort of pretend or they'll, they'll try to be the image of it or they'll romanticize it. But in the end, at the end of the day, they don't have a freaking clue who you are. Um, they, are building, they are building for the idea of you, right? And so once you figured that out, well, that's a no-brainer. I mean, I'm building bikes one at a time for each person. We get to be their friends, their confidants. We know all about where they ride, how they ride, what colors they like, and you throw it all in a blender. Um, and you know, when you make a bike, there's a thousand decisions to be made, quite literally, probably more, because most of them are just subconscious at that point. And just by sitting down and having a coffee with somebody or going for a ride or sharing a joke or whatever, you get to know that person to the point where the decisions about what their bike is going to be like, look like, ride like, they're just made. Like you don't, I don't, most of those decisions, you don't even, they just come, they just, they go, oh yeah, this guy, right, yeah, this, 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 and this, and oh no, he wouldn't like that, he would like this, you know. So that's something, you know, a big company, can they can't compete with that. Um, and that's one of the reasons we stay the size we are because we need to have a relationship, an intimate relationship with each customer. Um, that's what they're after. That's why they're coming to us. And I think um, we like it too. Yeah. We meet some really interesting people yeah. along the way.
I mean, they're sharing the same passion as us, right? You know, they're into bikes too. Um, and they obviously care about, uh, you know, the sustainability of the product of, 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 I don't know what it would be, but it's that intimacy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's, yeah, that's, no, that's, that's the neat part. Yeah. I think the re-emergence of like craft, people appreciating crafts yeah. as well and handmade and just honoring a position that you can, especially like a bike that we were talking before, like how you can repair the stain, the steel. Yeah. And to have something that's like life, like an heirloom in the family or something yeah. that you hold on to forever and it's got this story and it's not just a throwaway, get the next upgrade. Absolutely. Um, it's, yeah. There's something beautiful to that, which I really yeah. love. Now, in the actual the, the journey of I built up a Colnago with a friend and he helped me do it up. And like the whole process was fun, like yeah. choosing the tires and being like, oh, should we, what color do you paint right. it? And should yeah. we do the decals like this? And yeah, um, yeah it was, there's the, the ride was as good as the ride was part of it. Yeah, just yeah, getting yeah. the build, doing the build, the whole journey. Yeah. Um, is it, are there other bike builders you kind of, admire or hang out with or like to because you go to the bike shows we used to go a lot yeah definitely i mean there's there's a lot of great builders out there especially these days i mean there's been along with the whole uh craft culture that's happened of with everything in the last 10 or 20 years um the bikes have, have ridden along with that and they're you know, there's some great builders out there. I mean, we live so remote from all of them. It's, uh, we, we definitely don't hang out in a <laughs> traditional sense. I wish, man, I wish there was like, uh, you know, some other guy down the street I could go commiserate and cry in our beer about what went wrong that week and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I do it on the internet. <laughs> you know, the, the real world yeah. of the internet. Um are there any kind of hero bike left you to dinner party song sing along down here? Was there anyone you'd invite uh, to kind of come down if you could have anyone around? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's a there's a well, there's two. There's 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 uh, there's a lot of um, uh, bike builders that I see as sort of peers that are doing the same thing, and I can really see like hanging out with them. And then there's other ones that are like, oh, those guys I would just love to be at a dinner party with. But I don't think they'd ever want to be mine. You know? I, I think, of, I mean, absolutely right off the bat, I would, I mean, without a question, the, I think the most fascinating guy to like have here for a party or just to meet would be a, a guy named Pegorati. I thought you were going to mention Dario Pegorati. It's just, he's brilliant. I love his philosophy. He's an Italian maker. Um, he does these beautiful paint jobs, um, and he's taking the classic road bike. I mean, basically pretty classic, but he's got a real modern twist to it, um, which I just love. Um, that's that. That's easily. But then there's a whole bunch of uh, builders that are sort of of the same um, that have been doing it about the same amount of time as us, or maybe a little longer. That I think share similar philosophies. I mean, there's like Carl Strong. And uh, um, like Tony and Ira, Breadwinner Cycles and Firefly. Firefly. Oh, man. I love their stuff. Me too. Firefly is like a company I 
would aspire to be for sure. And I mean, we share a similar aesthetic and stuff, but they're, they've been doing it a little longer and they're a little more efficient and <laughs> they're in Boston, not in the middle of the woods, <laughs> you know, things like that. Um, oh, and what about outside it? Cause you, you guys are big into music and philosophy and books and all kinds of, yeah. are there other, and environmental, we were talking about, it was the guy David... Uh, uh, David Suzuki. Yeah. 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 There's all kinds of... Well, other. we have dinner with David Suzuki. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't need to wish them. Um, but um, are there other... Like, are you influenced by other, like, uh, subject matters a lot too? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like... I mean, b- bicycles for me are kind of the distillation of a bunch of things into something, but it doesn't mean that that's... I mean, that's not the be-all and end-all of the world, I think, right? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> is it? Is it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, could, I could argue either way on that one. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, and it changes all the time, right? It's like interesting how you talk about getting into the mandal or playing music yeah. and singing and, like, what that might do for your thinking and... yeah. Yeah, Just learning something new again. And yeah, that's right. We were talking about that yesterday, and I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, I, I you have to. I, I as, as I was saying yesterday, I think you know, I think you need to do things. You got to shake yourself up from time to time, and, and do things that are like just outside your your comfort zone that scare you a little bit, right? And uh, music scares the shit out. Of me. I mean, I love music, but I never. I was always like that thing in the other room, you know, that I could watch or I could listen to. And especially, you know, I'm being with Andrea for all this time and who's like this amazing musician, um, you know, can play whatever she decides (laughs) she wants to play as far as the instrument goes like, oh, how does this work? I think you're holding it wrong. Oh, whatever. (laughs) Just has that understanding like... Just zero fear when it comes yeah. to singing or playing music, and I'm just always looked at that in like awe. Like, how do you do that? You know, like that just looks terrible. That looks like jumping into the deep end of the swimming pool. Um, and so I don't know. Maybe five, six, seven years ago, I don't even know when. I'm just like, okay, right. This is stupid. Like, probably because I was also getting to a point and an age where I wasn't improving anymore as a cyclist, not really, or improvements were so tiny and took months to accomplish. Mm. And I'm just like, I feel like I need to try something new. And, and I'm like, well, I've got this partner who does all this music. So there's gotta be, she's gotta, you know, somehow I gotta like just get in that room with her and play around. And um, sort of just picked up the guitar because that's what everybody does, right? It's easy. Not easy to play. <laughs> easy to find one. <laughs> it's, easy, it's easy to pick up. Yeah, it's easy to pick up. Yeah, everyone's got really? one. Um, and just started tinkering around. And it was horrible. I mean, I really suck because I don't understand. I, you know, I don't have the... Um, I would never sing out loud. I certainly had never really played an instrument other than, you know, a grade 8 band. I think I played clarinet really badly um but what i loved about it was first of all it, i got that like adrenaline rush of fear mm. <laughs> a little bit so it was like oh like the unknown and then on top of that um 
The best part though, and this is the part that keeps me going, is that, okay, I've got something that I suck so badly at when I start that every day is a monumental improvement <laughs> on the day before. And that is like, so you have this, first of all, you have the humility for sure, because you're just not very good at it. But then you have the, 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 the boost um, that, you're, that, that, there, that you're, there's something you're doing that you're improving at. And that's, you know, I mean, we all want to do that. We all want to be better than we were yesterday, right? At whatever it is. So having something that you can mark the improvement over time is yeah. quite enjoyable. And then you have horrible days like last <laughs> night and we were singing and I don't know, I just didn't, felt off and it was like, oh, I hate this. Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. And I went right back to my six-year-old singing self, you know. Uh, I have big plans for you guys. Uh, yeah, they get And then I get really band. stressed out. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, okay, Look first the, performance. The cover and, the <laughs> yeah. and see, right now I'm getting cold sweats. You know? I don't know why. Because it's probably like, you know, singing for your grandma and your, <laughs> you know. Oh, no, so good. Um, but I, no, you got to, like, do something that scares you once in a while. Yeah, that's what mountain biking is and was for me. It still is for me. Yeah. It was the same thing. Totally idolized the way that you could go out and mountain bike or race and not have fear associated with it. And for me, racing was all about fear. It still is. <laughs> But I really, really desperately needed to over. I was like, I was fed up with feeling that way. Yeah. So it was like, I have to overcome this fear, basically, and challenge myself. Yeah. So that's like for me, that's my big, that's my big learning that's happening right now. Oh, that's so cool! You guys have raised a family, built a business, and still. <laughs> There was still afraid. Yeah, still, uh, you're still scared <laughs> of shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Is there a? Uh, I mean, have you done a big bike tour before? No, but it's interesting. I was looking at like what scares some people and scares other people. And, like as your child, like I've always kind of been happy to be like the free kick taker and the suck or or to take the bigger risks, and now it's going to work out, and so. I've always been happy to be like, well, I'll figure it out. Like, right, yeah, yeah, there's yeah, no, yeah. like, there's other people that are worse than me that have done this or yeah, older right. or like, right, it can't right, be that hard. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I can do it. Um, and then sometimes like, shit, this is true. actually pretty tough. But yeah. you, you're like, shit, I've always yeah. had that attitude. And so, no, but great, music's, a, music's a little bit different because I don't quite know where to start. And so I'm like, no, but there's, like, my sister learned language and my brother's learned music and, you know, so many people have. So I just yeah. have to like, take the time and follow their process but um i've never thought it's like it's difficult but then i have other yeah other fears and challenges like everyone else does but that yeah but it's interesting in the city the other day just trying to buy stuff and being in a city and like that was actually right. making me like i got into a, a fear-based head mindset i'm like where's the money like around the yeah. money and the cost yeah. and how i'm going to logistically do it i'm like yeah, and then just coming up here and seeing you guys like sing and having a beer, and it was like, no, this is what this yeah. is the exciting part. I'll figure all the rest later. Like, I'm just gonna, yeah, yeah. this is the good stuff. Like, totally. Um, yeah. This is what mo motivates you to kind of yeah. do all the other crappy jobs. Um, yeah, yeah, it was beautiful. Just a quick change in that that headspace, but 
Yeah, and I'm looking forward to the touring. On that, have you got a favorite thing you used to eat on the, the bike? Is it the foods? Is it, is it or like a meal you look forward to having? Or is it anything? <laughs> food. Anything food. Food, food, food in general is amazing, yeah. bike touring. I mean, bike touring, man. I, I, yeah, that's a whole other thing. It's the, the, the beauty of that because you're distilling life into its just fundamentals. Like, what are you going to do today? Well, I'm going to eat. <laughs> I'm going to ride my bike. And I'm going to sleep. <laughs> and then I'm going to repeat that. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> and it's awesome because that's that's your whole. That becomes really quickly. It's amazing to me. Um, you know, first I always find the first two or three days. And if you talk to most people who go on bike tours, they'll tell you this too. Like second and third day is the worst because you're still basically you're still back home, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're still thinking about all the stuff you haven't done, all your work, whatever. You have the anxiety, like you're saying about where am I going to get the money? This is going to cost too much. I don't know. Wow, my bike's not Where working. am I going to stay? Yeah. Where am I going to stay? All these <laughs> things, right? And then by about the day four or five for most people, that just melts away and you can't even remember where home is. <laughs> and your whole thought is just like, wow, it's pretty out here or wow, it's raining or whatever it is, whatever your moment is. And then... Huh, I wonder what I'm going to eat today, and so I wonder where I'm going to sleep, and those become that becomes everything. And that's, um, you know, for some people that may sound horrible, but I think it's it's an awesome thing. Um, yeah, it's funny because that's why I think Dad does it too. It simplifies yes, life and simplifies everything. And that's why I've always loved exercise. I'm like, I feel terrible, and that's something I noticed I didn't wasn't able to do yesterday. I wasn't able to just. Yeah. Go for a run or go for I just love going in the water, just going for a swim, it's like everything disappears. Yeah, you're just yeah, in the yeah. ocean, Absolutely. you're on the bike, yeah. you're, it just it just helps the mind. Um, um, and so as far as food, I mean one of the best things is everything starts to taste amazing. God, everything does you taste know, amazing. Like, like you'll have like the best apple of your life or the best strawberry ever. Yeah, and simple things. You don't need to you don't need to frou frou them up anymore. I mean you can just cook up a a thing of just straight up pasta. Sure, that's enough. Maybe maybe put a tomato on it. That's spaghetti. <laughs> Tastes better than any spaghetti you've ever had, you know, yeah. cooked on the side of the road. So, yeah, I don't know. One of our favorite, we took our kids, we took our kids bike touring one time. Uh, we did the Kettle Valley Railway in the Okanagan of British Columbia. So the idea behind it is it was an old um, railroad path that they then converted to a trail, rails to trails. So it was no more than 2% at any point. So we thought, okay, this would be great for the kids. This will be great for us. So Sophie, our daughter, was like eight. Is that Not right? Sure. Something like that. And she was maybe a little bit younger, and she was on one of those trail bike attachments attached to Sam. And oh, our yeah. son, Misha, was like on his own bike, and he had to ride completely independently. And he was about 11, something yeah. like that. And... <laughs> And he'd never really ridden before. <laughs> and so, well, he'd done some riding, you know, to friends' houses, that kind of thing. Um, so we took them out on this trail and I anticipated that Misha needed to ride like 40 kilometers every day, something like that, which was quite a bit for a 10 or 11-year-old at the time who had never ridden. And one of the ways that we'd get them to ride was some of the food that we had brought. Like, for example... <laughs> I'd be like, good old carrot. <laughs> I'd be like, Misha, we only have five more kilometers to 
years to go. And which part would be like, oh no, my God, how am I going to make it? And we were like, oh, like, here's a Scotch mint. <laughs> like, if you make it another kilometer, you get this one mint. <laughs> and he'd be like, okay, I'm coming. Or I'd be like, Misha, is that a bear? And then he'd ride a little yeah. bit faster. Basically, I think we were like crappy Paris where we. But we also made these like every morning, these wraps. So it did require like a tortilla wrap, but you could probably yeah. use something else, but which was peanut butter, chocolate chips, <laughs> coconut, and maybe some cranberries or something like that. Whatever you can find. Roll it all up. Oh, the chocolate. best. <laughs> yeah, chocolate. The best. That was like the best breakfast ever. Yeah. It totally fueled everybody. Everyone was looking forward to that every day. Yeah. Oh, man. That's so cool. Hey, appreciate just the simple things. Yeah. And I can't remember what you were talking about the other day, but watching the oh the dog outside who just oh, yeah. meditating on like the like grass and the rain coming down and the um yeah we yeah appreciate really, everything you saw in the moment yeah yeah you really start noticing things around you was there any one ride that or like famous ride in the world or or like stage of the tour de france or anything like that that you've wanted to do or or have done there's so many. Yeah, there's yeah. too many. Really. Is, there, is there one on the bucket list which like, oh, that, that, that could be the next trip? Because you're in Hawaii. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, surely, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's definitely cool. I wouldn't say that was on either of our radar, really. That's yeah. that's more fun because uh, a friend of ours um, uh, runs this tour out of, uh, runs this trip. And it's more about going with her and visiting with her and riding with her than it is even where we're going. But, which I is mean, actually a bonus yeah. in a lot of ways because I have no expectations of what it's going to be like to ride in Hawaii. That's I right. haven't built it up in my head at all. It, yeah. It'll be whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Which usually we're makes going to it visit. an even better experience than you could ever have anticipated. Because yeah. I don't... I don't... Um, I don't have any built up yeah. expectations for it at all. I did get all excited because I discovered that on on the big island and on one of our quote unquote rest days it's the it is the starting point of the longest highest climb you can do in the world continuous oh well so bike climb yeah so you're trying so i'm gonna try this. <laughs> <laughs> so that that got me all a bit excited you know i like things like that but um yeah, it climbs to, it's like 68 kilometers straight climbing. Wow. And it climbs to 14,000 feet from sea level in one go. And it was 68 Ks up. It's like half of Everest in one shot. Well, you do that twice and you do the, the Everest thing. Yeah, I thing know. Like hey, I've, I've already... Yeah, that's big in New Zealand. There's Kiwi ah. guys. Yes, a couple of young Kiwi I've guys. I've calculated this one. I only have to do it twice. Twice. Only. <laughs> Most people I've talked to can barely do it the first time because you're at such altitude. These Kiwi guys did it, um, some young guys recently just for the, oh, I don't know if it was for a charity or not, but they just decided to do yeah. it and um, yeah, they chose one hill and they had to do it like 200 times or something because <laughs> it was, yeah. yeah. No, we do that around here too and I've definitely been, there's a whole thing where you can like, you can plug in Strava segments. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, it'll spit out like how many times you have to do it, how much distance that would be, um, and if you know your your power output, it'll tell you basically how long it'll take you. And 
It's awesome. I've definitely dorked out on that. <laughs> um, oh, but good. I think I think this particular climb to do it to do it once is going to be brutal enough. Let alone to do it twice. In fact, most people. I think there's very few people that have even managed to ride up this one and ride down. Oh, most, so of them get, most of them get picked up at the top. It's just because 68 kilometers of descent from altitude is another hole. Oh, and the hands on the bright. Oh, the, it's just, well, and, and you're, you're kind of out of it, and who yeah. knows, right? And the weather can be anything, too. Yeah. So that's a whole adventure in itself. But, um, I've always wanted to do the Tour Divide. Tour Divide. Um, that would be great, the Tour Divide. That is... That's become a, a sort of uh, race in the last few years, but it can be obviously just on the ride. But it goes from Banff in Alberta, um, and it basically zigzags the, uh, the Rockies. Ooh. Yeah. So it goes back and forth over the Rockies all the way to Mexico. Oh, wow. All, all off-road. Yeah. So combination of, of gravel road and single track trail um, and that's that that just looks fantastic yeah it looks like a good challenge oh so and there's much. an event every year in june when they call it the grand depart and it's basically a race although it's so <laughs> i mean i think the 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 record now for that is 17 days or something like that yeah, it's insanely fast. That's and it's unsupported, so like you have to carry all your own stuff, and you're not allowed any help. It's not stages like the Tour de France. You yeah. just go. Um. So that would be fun. Yeah, that makes me just think of it. I think the, yeah, these worlds of possibilities now. Once I'm sure after this trip, too, I have the same of. Where else could I go? Like I want to even do New Zealand and yeah, the yeah. same backyard, but um, doing the honey as well. The Spencer. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, cool. What's uh? What would be one? I might need to start to wrap it up. If I've got to get the one thirty ferry, and it's coming to ten to one. What time? One thirty ferry. Oh, so. One o'clock or the two o'clock ferry on Is this it, side? Oh, on this side, one or the two. What time do you need to be at the airport by? Well, a flight three. Yeah. So if I get the 2 p.m. Yeah. Pretty tight. Is it? You should be able to make well, it. Well, you won't make the one. Yeah. Oh, um, so the two. So the two 205. And then, did how did you get, did you take a cab? T yeah, cab. Yeah. And when's your flight? Three. Oh, pretty three. tight. So it gets off the ferry, the ferry docks at about, you get off at about 2.10 or 2.15. And then if there's a taxi waiting well, for you. Well, it's going to be 2.20 because it's uh, 2.05 is the ferry. What? 2.05? It says 2.05. <laughs> I was looking at the wrong, I was just looking at the wrong time there. 2.05? It says 2.05. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know when our ferry's leaving. 2.05. What? If Fergus is driving the boat. Just be like, speed yeah. up, Fergus. Yeah, this is a Strava segment. You want to win the Strava segment. Oh, you know. Is it, you know. <laughs> we keep, 
I keep thinking we should set it up as a Strava <laughs> Very, the very rude is a Strava segment, depending on who's captaining that day. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and what about the, is there one bike you're most proud of? You got that one that won the awards. Is that, she was wondering what, was that that, um, was that that one, the one that Lance bought? No, one? that's one of my favorites for sure. Mm. Oh, this, the one up in the that one is the, one the one. yeah. Oh no, you know what? It wasn't that one actually. Oh, I, I think I'm, it's, it's like that one. Was that, that one? one? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's funny. I look at it now, and there's so much about that bike I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> like it's. You should. It is quite. Oh, thank you. Um. This, yeah, that's probably still one of my favorites. Though. Yeah, is that like a wooden? Is that leather? That's leather de decals. No, that's full leather. But what I did was I stepped it, stepped the tubing oh, down, the oh, so, it so that flush. it's flush. Yeah, same with the handlebars. Um, I don't know if there's a shot of the handlebars, but oh, okay, with the leather on the handlebars too. Um, but that stepped down as well, so that the handlebars just went in one. Yeah. straight piece and then the leather was the same diameter as the oh well tried to make it as clean as yeah as possible cool oh and some beautiful beautiful bikes and a whole lot of pictures of naked people as well which is quite good so if you do the naked you thought about that with the branding yeah so I call it naked bikes and you get a whole lot of stuff as well which is good um I love that the mm -hmm. detail too. The because I guess you could spend endless time on crafting the the welds and the fittings and fit, yeah. the custom. And that was basically like Frenching it. They call it right, like hiding every hiding all the joins. Yeah. So like that wheel comes out, but you can't see how it's bolted on. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. And how many, and so you said you've just got two bikes now. I like that statement that you said, the more you ride, the less bikes you have. <laughs> like, like, the more realistic you get about yeah. uh, what you actually need. <laughs> Was there one particular riding you like to do the most now? Was it? Mm. No. It's all fun. It's all good. It changes with the seasons. Mm. Um, what do you do to stay fit in winter then? If it's snow, you get snow out here, do you? Or yeah, just... but not, not a lot. Yeah. Um, we ride. Mm. Yeah, we really don't we get ride. snow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is sort of winter now. Well, it'll it, get colder. It'll get colder. And there for will a while. be some snow, but it won't stick around for long, usually. Are we still recording? No. Um, yeah, it's kind of one question I usually ask, which... Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll edit out the bit where I'm... Well, maybe I'll leave it in, where I'm like, <laughs> I just missed my flight. Whatever <laughs> 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 um, the, um, the... Especially being parents, too, like the one message for the... Tim Ferriss had this question where he asked... 
if they had one billboard or one message for people, like what would it, what would it be? And if you want to see something more of something in the world, or just had one, <laughs> or maybe just one piece of advice, something that comes to mind. Anything? Uh, it's, quite a, it's quite a lofty question. I think uh, you don't have like, a lofty wow. answer. It could be oh, easy. All that comes to mind is go ride your damn bike. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even know what that means. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's all kinds of trite things that come to mind about following your passion and riding your bike. And well, I love being out of the comfort zone with the guitar. Yeah. So just doing stuff like that. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, there's so many things in there. I mean, it definitely, I mean, I'm not, this is not boiling it down at all. This is just talking around it. But that whole idea of uh, exactly like finding your passion, but also something that scares you a little bit. And, uh, and I mean, to wrap it all up with the, the bicycle, I mean, one of the beautiful things about the bike is that um, the way a bicycle stays upright is that it is in a constant state of falling over like that's how you steer a bike all you are uh, that's why you have handlebars because you are constantly falling and you're reacting to the fall to counter it and to go the other way and then back and forth and back and forth and back and forth the bicycle what makes it so stable is its instability right and so i mean there's a philosophy for life right there right you know um, in order, in order to, in order to move forward, you have to be unstable. You know, you can just park the bike, sure, but then nothing happens. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, that's, I mean, that's where that feeling of freedom and flying and all that comes from. So, it's not it doesn't fit on a billboard, but no, it's, <laughs> it's great. Yeah. I really like that. There's this guy in Venice Beach and he was this doctor and he's called Slomo, but he was like a brain surgeon or something and he had Ferraris in a zoo and all this stuff and he I think he was losing his eyesight or something happened to him and questioned what he was doing. This is this big revelation moment of like, what have I been doing my whole life just trying to consume possessions and I think he'd fallen out of love with his family and just sold up everything and went rollerblading on Venice Beach and he just rollerblades and he and, and everyone thinks he's a bum with really fancy rollerblades and then this movie came out about him and he said he just gets into this meditation where the he glides on one skate and it's kind of almost like you're picking up speed but just weaving side to side and it's yeah. that g-force of yeah. just kind of sailing on your own momentum that was like the made him the happiest he's ever been so he just does that now and it's yeah, a bit like that instability thing. It just keeps riding the like crests of the Absolutely. up and down. I mean, it's probably what surfers love too, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you know, to to surf a wave, you are basically falling down a wave. That's what you're doing, and the wave just keeps coming along to to lift you up and keep you moving forward. Um, and it's how you how you how you control your fall <laughs> mm. is where the fun is um, yeah I don't know singing must be a bit like that singing. you have noise escaping your body and it's how you control it that <laughs> makes I the guess. differences <laughs> yeah I guess I don't really think about it I think for me 
one of my big things that I need to work on is to not think so much about things, not overanalyze things. I'd certainly do about bike racing, say, for example, which scares the crap out of me. But I totally overthink it, including before mm. and during. Not at all after, because then it's over. <laughs> <laughs> but with music and with singing for me, I don't... There might be some thinking in order to solve a few problems, but it's not... I don't know. It's, it's more emotion for mm. me, I think. I think, and actually for, for music and singing or any kind of playing music or sharing music with people, because that's, that's kind of how I view music, is it's a form of sharing. And like this version of me that you're getting right now, this is, um, it's probably a little bit guarded. Like I'm definitely more open than I ever used to be, probably because I'm in my 40s and I just don't really care anymore about what people think. Um, but what happens when I perform or sing or share music with people is I absolutely expose myself. Mm -hmm. I completely make myself vulnerable. And, and the thing is, I'm okay with that. I'm not nervous about that. And I think that's one of the reasons why I get nervous about bike racing or performing in, a, in, a, in that kind of capacity is that I'm... I'm still worried about what other people think, and I'm still worried about, in that scenario, um, being vulnerable. But music provides me an avenue where I am willing to be vulnerable, and I think that, um, for me anyway, being more vulnerable in my life um, would help significantly to, to make it like a, a better life experience instead of trying to hide part of who I am all the time. Yeah, I was thinking just coming in last night, how joyous it was, like the energy of the room, and that's like <laughs> our natural state. And then this guy, that's Steve Ross, the happiness yoga guy, just said, like, happiness is all in us, but we've just got these layers of kind of the things, we're pressing it down. It's like, that's the natural state, and this is the, the jobs and the fear and what do people think and the stories and the com like, comparing yourself to other people, all this other stuff is just kind of keeping you from being there. Yeah. yeah. I was For like, sure. what, you know, what can let people tap into that space more often? It's like mm -hmm. encouragement and like giving stuff a go and mm -hmm. celebrating the failures too. There was this awesome, really wealthy lady, but she said every time we, she came home for dinner that her dad would say, you know, what, what did you fail at today? It was, it was like a success story. It was like really yeah. encouraging the house. Like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And they keep and keep encouraging that kind of mentality. But yeah, it's interesting. I think we're all kind of singers and sharers and leaders when we're at our mm. doing what we love. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's such a good metaphor with the music. Mm. And where can people maybe to wrap it up? Where can people find your music and the bikes and come? If they want to check out what you... Hang out. <laughs> you want to Just come hang rock. out, check out the bike shop, maybe play a little bit of music. Trade some marijuana and chicken sauce and soup and... Yeah, but they need to know the secret knock. <laughs> and the password. And the... Uh, yeah. And if they want a bike as well, what's... 
Well, the easiest access for most people is is just to see see what we've done on the internet there and <laughs> naked, check nakedbicycles.com. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean we got we've got our we got our history there of uh, what we've built and what we do and who we are, kind of just laid bare. As far as the music. Well, that just happens all the time. That's, yeah. just, that's, that's just here. Now, you might innocently be making your way to Quadra thinking you weren't going to have to perform that night. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> next thing you know, you've got a solo in some group jam. <laughs> there is no free lunch. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to do some practice next time. Yeah, <laughs> not, but, um, yeah, you owe us a song. Still. Yeah. Look. <laughs> um, oh, that's cool. And the Instagram as well. And then I guess. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah. You know, you search, search naked bicycles. You'll get distracted for a while. <laughs> eventually sure you'll find us. The bicycle site, eventually. Yeah. Cool. Oh, thanks for so much for hosting me for the night and oh, it's been fun but having a chat and yeah, yeah. just like trimming the shop it's it's awesome and super inspiring too i just i love the idea of creating something to shoot in the middle of nowhere and having the world see it or want it, you know yeah no i mean who knew, who knew right no it's so fun and it's great having you come and just uh sharing that for a few minutes you know yeah no it's cool i think dad will enjoy uh the talk to and reminiscing. I yeah. love that. I love that story. How you thought he was just some kind of homeless oh, yeah, yeah. guy. So, yeah. Oh, who's this guy? Another freeloader. Another freeloader. Another woofer. Yeah. Oh, no, right away. Right away. That's what we got. Oh, we got on like I was on fire. Oh, great. Oh, thanks, Sam. Thanks yeah. for completing that. Thank you. Journey, brother. Whoopa, well, what a insight into a craftsman's life and the life of two amazing people full of energy, adventure, song, dance, and actually going back to the song element uh, in the background that's Andrea, Sam, and Andrea's band, and another friend, Peter, who are playing the night I came in. I just the phone down decided I thought it'd be cool but I didn't tell them <laughs> just to record record some of that music as a little background track for the podcast so uh, I'll get the I'll get the sign off to make sure there's no kind of new release tracks in there I haven't uh, <laughs> overstepped the boundaries but um, I love the insights into that quadra lifestyle and uh, hopefully you do too I, I can't believe the people I, the wonderful people that I come across bike riding and touring uh, just in life and it was a real a dream hanging out with those two and the wider quadra community I'm have, have to go back there and and uh, in summer and so far I've had one big day riding on, on dad's naked bike that Sam built and it was um, yeah it rode like a treat so again if you're interested in the bikes make sure you check them out naked bicycles Instagram and on the website and um, spread the love there, real craftspeople and real people, 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 and um, it is doing wonderful, wonderful work. So, as always, hope you dug it. I'm going to keep the outro short, got more roads to ride, people to see, 
things to do. And uh, it's just such a great way to explore the world on a bike. Um, meeting the likes of Sam and Andrea is just... Uh, doesn't get any better than that in life. When you come into a warm house after a long day riding and you get to be greeted with people like that and have food and song and dance and it's uh, and then get the stories behind the craftsmanship, the building of the bikes, like to go into his factory and see all the parts and the, the love behind it. I love the way he kind of summed up um, when I asked him what, you know, what do you do? And he, he talked about the, you know, the beyond being a bike maker, the kind of the craft, the love of the design, the, the putting all all his talents into into a project and that relationship one-on-one -on -one when you're building something custom for someone is pretty it's really cool so i dug it hope you did too think less experience more leave a review and uh as always love to hear from you love to hear maybe that's inspired uh, some journeys of your own and uh yeah if you want to follow me uh, again check out the instagram I'll probably post up then trying to do some blog posts as i cycle down to uh, we have from Salt Spring over down to uh, try and get down to Carmel in the next month and then on to Mexico so all is well love and lights and bike rides think less, experience more adios I need to work on my Spanish from Mexico I need more than adios <laughs> hola Taco. Guacamole, please. That's all the essentials right there.
mandolin sounds really cool. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm.